This episode of the Power Connect podcast is brought to you by NRX, making it easier to buy and sell energy in competitive markets. We really need to start looking at ways that companies, before there is a level of technology readiness, you know, from carbon capture to sequestration, which is really the huge focus right now, what can companies start doing on the daily for them to really start engaging in decarbonization activities and sustainability exercises that can really have an impact on their bottom line? Welcome into the Power Connect Podcast. I'm your host, Fred Davis. Episode number 11 of the show happening right now. Friday vibes, boys and girls, as we have an international flavor to today's show as we welcome to the program, Miss Rana Hajrazuli, COO of the Cyrus Group and founder of The Surplus, uh, which we're going to talk to her about this brand new startup that she's got going on over in the United Arab Emirates, the UAE, for those of you scoring at home incredible project that she's working on over there. It's a phenomenal idea that she's got attracting business to the UAE, to the Middle East region. And it's something that the energy transition means something different to different parts of the world. I mean, I think we all agree on net zero. We all agree that we need to get sustainable. We all agree about we're trying to get clean energy, emission-free, what have you. And obviously, you know, I don't know that a lot of folks are paying attention to what's going on over in the Middle East when it comes to sustainability. We're going to check in with Rana today and find out exactly what is kind of the attitude over there and, more importantly, the business opportunities because, again, it is a growing economy economy when it comes to all things sustainability. So we're going to hear from Rana here in just a little bit. But before we do that, uh, let's take care of some items here on the Power Connect podcast front. Number one, looking forward to a brand new series we've got coming up next week. We're kicking it off with Nate Richards, CEO of NRX, talking all things the power markets. Exactly how do they work? Deregulated versus regulated, retail versus wholesale. And of course, uh, you know, kind of what's next when you look at everything that's going on in the power markets, and I don't care whether it's ERCOT, MISO, uh, SPP, PJM, you name it, a lot going on. Of course, obviously, Massachusetts, a lot of talk what's going on with the legislature over there. We posted an article yesterday uh, on our LinkedIn page about it. So three-part series. Stay tuned for that with Mr. Nate Richards, CEO of NRX. Very excited about that. Also, too, we've got some great episodes coming up over the next couple weeks. Joe Britton, Executive Director of the Zero Emission Transportation Association. Uh, their goal is to have 100% EV adoption by 2030. We'll discuss that with him. Uh, we've also got Sean Kelly, CEO of Amperon. Uh, they help with next-level analytics when it comes to the grid. Of course, they're based right here in Houston. Sean's been all over the place, and so uh, we're looking forward to sitting down and chatting with him. And then we've also got the authors of the Climate Restoration book. So a lot going on. On with the Power Connect podcast. Make sure you give us a follow over at, obviously you can follow us on the website, thepowerconnect.net, and give us a follow over on our Apple page as well as Spotify. And if you listen to us on Apple, leave us a five-star rating. It helps with the algorithm, and we just think we do a good job. And of course, if you want to know more about the show, become a podcast partner, business inquiries, and or any kind of promotional advertisements with the show, follow us on LinkedIn, The Power Connect, Fred Davis, and or you can always email me, fred at thepowerconnect.net. Or if you're just looking to be a guest on the show, you can contact us that way as well. All right, let's get right down to it. Miss Rana Hajrazuli, great information, great sit down with her today, talking all things UAE. Uh, one thing that she said, which of course for folks here in the good old US of A, uh, you might, you know, make sure you're not drinking your coffee because you might spit it up. 
up uh, when she talks about how the government is quicker than the private sector when it comes to sustainability uh, and as far as projects and kind of movement on that. She also talks about how this is a burgeoning market over in the Middle East when it comes to sustainability. It's becoming a hub for climate tech startups, sustainability startups. So she'll get in a little bit of that, which is a big reason why she started the surplus. And when it comes to waste to energy, the circular economy and hydrogen, again, the Middle East is becoming a go-to spot for all of that. So it's a great primer on all things that are going on in the Middle East. Look, we know about what they do in the oil and gas front. Today, we get to check in with Ms. Rana about what they're doing on the sustainability front. So without further ado, please welcome to the program, Ms. Rana Hajarazuli. So when I came back to the UAE, I started working in the downstream oil and gas sector, which was a bit of a drastic shift between, you know, working in a biomarine, um, you know, a research unit, and then I was working for a litigation outsourcing company. Um, so obviously, the natural kind of order of things, as you would have it coming back to the GCC, is somewhat connected to oil and gas. Um, so I was, you know, working in a manufacturing company. And um, during that time, I saw a pretty good opportunity to get into the climate tech space and for circular economy solutions, because we were actually facing some challenges like most people in our supply chain were as well. I mean, it's, it's really interesting how, you know, everything is very much connected and we're kind of a very small speck in the ecosystem. And what I noticed was obviously, like with most manufacturing companies, we were making construction chemicals primarily. And so, that company was an SME working for um, essentially, you know, private labeling products for much larger companies. And so when these companies face a little bit of a shift in dynamic when it comes to kind of volatile market conditions or higher kind of, you know, pressures to, you know, to enable their, their products to become more sustainable, we face the same types of issues. So we're more responsive to them as are most the SMEs within, you know, resource intensive supply chains. So we really had, you know, very kind of minimal pivoting room to find out well, how can we start responding to these solutions proactively, first of all, to get ahead of the curve and to, you know, cater to our clients better. So we started realizing that we don't actually produce a huge amount of waste, you know, compared to some of the, you know, some of the other companies that we were also, that we were dealing with, but our suppliers were. So upon closer examination, I started seeing that there was, you know, a good opportunity to start implementing this thing that the um, Nordic framework is very keen about and they've actually been using since the 70s which is the industrial symbiosis framework and so that kind of connects all of the companies and maps all of their waste from energy all you know all the way down to very simple byproducts and connects them in a way that it mimics nature so what we take as um, you know waste from one company is not really a waste but it's an input for another so we started seeing benefits in you know um, a lower environmental footprint um, lower costs of course it's coupled with its challenges but we started really making a proactive shift to saying hey if you know a small sme can do this um, everybody else can so that's kind of where i moved into the circular economy space we're basically a medium-sized enterprise, so we employ about 99 people. That's everybody from, you know, management all the way down to, to our operations. So my job at Cyrus Group is, is the chief operations officer, and that was the company that, you know, um, that manufactures the construction chemicals. So at the same time, I'm quite lucky that, you know, the work from home policy um, and the flexibility around it um, allowed some time for me to kind of, you know, take a step back and do what I also really love doing. So I'm doing a, a master's in sustainability leadership at the University of Cambridge. So a lot of these ideas from my startup, the surplus came from actual practical experience 
um, of implementing circular economy principles, um, sustainability frameworks, really, really, you know, working a very close collaboration in a novel context, which is the UAE. Sustainability is still a very novel thing here. Um, actually, the government moves, moves much faster than the private sector, um, which is interesting. So that actually gave um, you know, me the inspiration to kind of you know, manage my time a little bit better and you know, build basically a digital platform um, that can cater to, um, to basically multiple types of companies. So it, it is essentially sector agnostic. That's incredible when you say that the government uh, in the UAE is, is faster at adopting change when it comes to sustainability than the private sector. Explain that a little bit. So in the GCC, we are primarily fossil fuel producers. So that means we can kind of capitalize on the existing infrastructure for, let's say, energy transport, you know, and, and, and all the workers are very familiar with producing and handling energy, fuels, gases, and kind of like, you know, really longstanding energy trade ties. So the UAE in particular, um, you know, they just announced recently that they're kind of hoping to acquire, let's say, 25%, I think it was the exact amount of the international hydrogen market by 2030. And they're already in talks with multiple countries to try to export it. So these are the types of legislative dynamics that we have over here. So on a broader level, we have a lot of initiatives from legislation to policy support around the space that's moving at a very rapid pace. So the UAE's net zero by 2050 is a strategy that's a national initiative. And they've also, you know, also passed multiple other policy circulars as well. Um, my favorite one was actually the cir circular economy policy and those new mandates that are kind of hoping to support the infrastructure for companies to really start taking action sooner than later. Um, so in saying that, in terms of its kind of, you know, investment landscape, we're looking at about $163 billion in renewable energy by 2050 to achieve this net zero target. So we're actually on a really, really good track. And interestingly enough, COP28 is going to be held here. So that's a really big kind of first mover advantage we have in the Gulf um, in terms of being able to implement things at a you know relatively rapid pace. So we've got, you know, we've got everything pretty much from hydrogen to, you know, waste to energy, as well as some kind of, you know, relatively new but homegrown kind of green and clean tech companies. Um, so that space is not fully mature yet. Uh, we're not really on the global map for, for startups, but in saying so, there are a lot of clean tech leaders that are becoming increasingly attracted to the UAE as kind of a global innovation hub to kind of accelerate efforts to bring solutions to the regions or uh, to the region or rather kind of retrofit the solutions into the existing infrastructure. So we've got a really good healthy mix of both, but a lot of that will really be seen through the public-private partnerships uh, rather than the private sector alone. How would you describe kind of the, 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 the mentality and just kind of the attitude towards sustainability in the MENA region? Look, to be honest, I think it's a little bit difficult to try to generalize because even the overall kind of features that make up the, the, the cultural mosaics of these various countries in the GCC, they're very different. So, you know, we have, for example, Saudi Arabia right now, that's, you know, they're very pro green hydrogen right now. They've, you know, they've already put down $5 billion in the pipeline. Oman wants this economy to be hydrogen centric by 2040. And they're in all these kind of, you know, high level energy level talks. But if we really drill down to substance, I think the UAE has been quite you know, the regional leader in terms of allowing the space for companies to, to kind of set up the infrastructure that they need to get going. So it's not just exclusive to the sustainability space. You know, we can see this around the board. They've got a pretty booming fintech sector. There's medtech, there's health tech. 
InsureTech is actually making quite a quite a run for itself as well. And we've also got some good accelerators here as well, um, which is really important for the startup scene. And, and you know, um, I'm sure you've seen as well, Fred, you know, startups are actually really, you know, giving larger companies a run for their money because they're just simply more efficient and they're be able to be a lot more proactive with their responses and respond to market challenges and opportunities a lot faster. So I think that's, you know, giving the overall space to um, space for the UAE to be a little bit more innovative and, and, and maintain that kind of the edge that it needs. With the UAE and just that, that whole region, is it still very nascent and ripe for the taking? So, I mean, I guess my thing is, is that, you know, that thing is, is, is literally just on the verge of, of, of really taking off then, essentially. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, there are some advantages here. There's a huge gap in the market, which is actually an opportunity for okay. the cross of technologies, of ideas, of innovation. And, you know, while some of the mega projects are forming, so to speak, kind of on the government front, you know, it'll help overcome some of the challenges that we have here. So, for example, one of our waste energy plants uh, in Sharjah, once it's actually tested and commissioned and operational by the end of the year, the plant will actually be able to, you know, enable one of our cities here to become the Middle East first, you know, zero waste city and increase the landfill diversion rate to 100%. So that opportunity alone provides really fertile ground for companies to start thinking of ways to meet these demands. So circular economy is a really interesting one because it's such a broad, uh, it's just such a broad level of engagement you can have with it. So we can go, we can look at anything from kind of the leasing model, which is, you know, what Michelin did with their tires. Right. So, you know, they're, you know, their clients are essentially kind of renting the tires rather than buying them directly. And of course, there's, you know, discussions about extended consumer responsibility and then using waste as um, an input or a feedstock um, and kind of on a broader level, the energy transition is really dependent on a shift to renewable power, moving away from natural gas and petroleum. But in doing so, that transition, I think, also triggers massive demand for the critical you know, minerals required from cobalt, rare earth, lithium, and so on. So to get to net zero, we really need to start looking at ways that companies, before there is a level of technology readiness, you know, from carbon capture to sequestration, which is really the huge focus right now, what can companies start doing on the daily for them to really start engaging in decarbonization activities and sustainability exercises that can really have an impact on their bottom line. That's what made me gravitate towards it, is that if we're looking at a context that's relatively, we're lacking, let's say, sustainability experts in this region, uh, the ecosystem is not as mature as, let's say, somewhere like Denmark or Sweden, um, we haven't really had that much room to practice and learn from our failings. It is still a really, really good way to get your foot through the door and get companies engaging um, with sustainability to minimize the environmental footprint and have a real impact um, on their bottom line as well as their environmental costs. So I think that there's a really, really big opportunity there for everybody to get involved. What made you decide to take the plunge with the surplus and exactly what are you, uh, what are you hoping to achieve and kind of what's your overarching goal with it? The surplus is essentially a climate tech startup and we're basically a B2B web platform. So, so businesses register, we approve them after a due diligence process and plug them into the ecosystem. So from there, the process is basically kind of broken down into three really simple steps. The first thing is internal discovery. Secondly, it's external discovery and then matching. So it's actually pretty simple to, to really use the platform. And the idea that I was going with it was, well, we have a whole host of companies that are struggling with the same problem, which is, you know, they're faced with climate change. 
And these problems can be quite small or they can be quite large. It could be that, you know, they're in a drought, drought stricken area, which is going to get worse, or, you know, their infrastructure was burnt down due to wildfires, or it could just be that, you know, they're part of a really, really resource intensive supply chain. So it provides in response to that, a new framework that assists companies to initially map where they might be missing out on potential opportunities. So there's the kind of commercial pull of it. So what this means is, providing a new lens for underutilized resources, which can be anything from assets to expert knowledge that's not being used to its highest potential. Or perhaps for other companies, it could mean turning the resource intensive production lines into a servitized leasing model. So the core of the model is essentially collaboration, but informal synergies that are far faster and more efficient that echo the needs of businesses facing challenges in today's economic landscape. So short informal synergies is what I decided to to kind of um, make as a core function of this uh, platform as a flexible adaptive model that challenges kind of the you know the long arduous process of something like a joint venture let's say so a synergy could be knowledge exchange between two companies or finding new uses for the surplus warehouse space and expanding on revenue models together so they can benefit from this model pretty much immediately and of course this can happen um, as we're, you know, a sector agnostic platform that allows for cross industrial collaboration. So that kind of offers companies more incentive to collaborate with an unlikely partner who's not a direct competitor. So the collaboration becomes more productive. So as we've seen with this linear rather than circular models of business, everything had a beginning and everything had an end. Where the surplus kind of addresses this misconception that businesses do in fact have evolving needs and requirements and are not static and don't necessarily have a beginning or an end. So basically, by connecting multiple industrial stakeholders across different sectors, the surplus is, uh, is can essentially facilitate circular innovations by providing a platform where visions and ideas can kind of be shared from user to user, and new potential business models can be unlocked through networking activities. Uh, what's been kind of the reception thus far? At the moment, we've selected our 100 founding companies uh, for our private stealth launch in the UAE. But we do have a waiting list of 500 plus companies internationally oh, wow. uh, and thank yeah so we I, I couldn't believe it we actually had a company register in houston i was like wow houston we do not have a problem actually so it's been <laughs> so yeah so the next step is basically you know uh, we need to really drill down on some of our uh, learnings in the next couple of weeks because we'd like to cater for a broad spectrum of companies because we have i mean we've got a few publicly listed companies to micro smes and the reason for this is that we wanted to adapt the barriers of entry to sustainability and climate adaptation, no matter the size of the business. So our goal for the end of 2022 is to basically further develop the AI and machine learning component, which could allow for more accurate recommendations on the platform and really, really help companies. And the great news is we're not, um, you know, we're going to be launching internationally. So hopefully we can start producing some more, some more synergies internationally. And naturally these clusters will start forming naturally because the the great thing about this is if one business gets their foot through the door and they you know they see that they're actually benefiting from this um you know our business model is, is relatively affordable and we don't actually it's not a marketplace so we don't actually make any commission because that's counterproductive um you know we, we were studying the the market and some of the shortfalls of some really really great circular platforms and the shortfall was always a high level of, of entry when it came when it comes to technical details you know because you have you know, some people in companies which are not versed technically, they're commercial people, but there's no reason why they wouldn't be able to, you know, really benefit from um, networking and collaboration um, and at least learning something new. I mean, that's the fundamental model behind this. And so the inherent virality comes if they're, you know, 
even seeing that they're able to adapt the surplus framework as a new way of looking at their business and they go off the platform, that's perfectly fine. You know, we're, we're actually quite happy for them. Um, but on the other hand, they might be able to onboard their entire supply chain because it will be more helpful for them to have their suppliers on there and have their clients on there and, you know, have a new way of doing business with them in a way that they didn't think it was possible before. So that's what we're really, really hoping to get out of it. Like I said, I, I, this is, uh, you are certainly on to something tremendous here. And I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm glad I got you on the show because I, I just, you know, look, one of the things that, that's going to get us out, you know, that's going to help with energy efficiency, that's going to help with us getting to net zero are folks like yourself, companies like the surplus that are, you know, it's as much about collaboration as it is about, I mean, yes, look, we all want to make money, but at the same time, too, what are we doing to try to make that money? And is, are we making the world a better place as a result of it? And obviously what you're doing with this collaboration and this innovation across the world, you know, my hat's off to you for what you're doing. And like I said, you're only nine months into this thing. Uh, I can't wait to talk to you again uh, as you get this thing rocking and rolling. Thank you so much. So let me I'll get you out of here with this. I mean, obviously, you've got a, 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 a hellacious waiting list. What's on the rest of the docket for Rana Hajrazuli? <laughs> That's the take over the world. I don't know. <laughs> the number one priority, Fred, honestly, is just to really produce some valuable open source learnings for people because everybody that is employed in a business has business in playing their part in sustainability and the sustainability transition. And we are all so much more involved than we think. So essentially producing some results that would be able to be accessible to more people, um, whether they're failures or successes, I think is definitely on the priority list for the cards and ultimately lowering the barriers of entry for, um, for, for companies to really, you know, access their right to um, climate intelligence. That is really something that is extremely important, very critical, and I'm highly passionate about. Thank you, Miss Rana Hajrazuli. Don't forget, you can catch all of the Power Connect podcasts over at powerconnect.net, Apple Podcasts, and of course, Spotify. And like we said earlier in the show, you can always leave us a five star rating. Why? Because it helps with the algorithm, and we just think we do a good job. All right, again, don't forget three part series, Nate Richards and Erect. You don't want to miss that. We've got Sean Kelly coming up, we've got Joe Britton coming up, all kinds of good stuff coming up on the Power Connect podcast. So stay tuned for that. You definitely do not want to miss it. Everybody, have a fantastic weekend. Please enjoy the show. Be safe out there and stay cool. This has been the Power Connect podcast, connecting the energy transition one conversation at a time. Wake up. Builders, time to build a new land. I know we could do it if we all lend a hand. The only thing we have to